Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update on a Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Do I have to make a Shechianu or something? Well, obviously you have to make a Shechianu. I mean, this is, this is an amazing day. There's nothing like independence. Okay. Take <laughs> <laughs> that. You should get a day off then. <laughs> Actually, you're right. Please don't uh, even hint that to my staff. I'd appreciate okay. it. They've been overworked, to say the least, over the last few days for obvious reasons. Uh, a shout-out to some of the great educational institutions. Maybe a little strange that I start this way this week. But I'm in a conversation last night with my 11-year-old who's giving me the entire history of June 1981 when uh, Israel made sure to eliminate the possibility of Iraqi nuclear weapons. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The shame is that there are probably a lot of people in our audience who do not. And it's not just that, you know, as you always say, you got to know your history and, uh, and how to refer to it when you're in conversation with somebody. But in this case, it's not just a matter of it being a Jewish news item. This was something that essentially... You know, save the free world, not to be too dramatic. So a shout-out, Malcolm, as I'm sure you'd like to toss in a comment for those schools that are concentrating on historical uh, episodes like that. That and uh, its relevance today when we're dealing with Iran and its nuclear ambitions that the attacks, including from the United States, on Israel for executing uh, such a pinpoint exact strike on a reactor that the French were building in Iraq and I remember at the time of the first Iraqi war, how many people, generals and others, said, just think if we, if Israel hadn't done what it did, uh, then today we'd be facing nuclear weapons and not just Saddam's army. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 the, and the having, the, having the precedent actually helps because uh, now one can say, you know, why would you hesitate to do the same thing to Iran or a different nation when, you know, it worked really well the first time around. So... Mm-hmm. 100%. Got to know your stuff, and when 11-year-olds in our community know it, then there's hope for the future, that's for sure. All right, I know that it's hard for me to keep track of this stuff because uh, each week we discuss it. Uh, so I know back and forth you, you've, you've discussed the leadership of Mahmoud Abbas and the PA leadership in general, and uh, yes, elections, no elections, etc. A- am I right or wrong that he actually won an election this week? Uh, yes, you're right and wrong that he won an election this week, <laughs> which is always what happens in Palestinian elections, because as you know, he's in the 11th year of his first four-year term. Right. Uh, and they did convene the Palestinian National Congress, which is supposed to convene every five years, but has only been convened when there's some cataclysmic event, like after the Six-Day War, after the Yom Kippur War, after you know, a particular incident. So this is the seventh uh, since 1964, uh, and you can figure out the map, which uh, the math, so right. you see that it's not convened very often. And essentially, he was reelected. They, there was talk about electing a vice president. He did not want that. Obviously, they did elect the other leadership. You know, the president of the Fatah, the president of this and that. So the those people, I think, will emerge as a sort of second tier of leadership. His main interest, I think is not only perpetuating his leadership, but it is to protect the kleptocracy, the meaning the, the corruption that has enriched his kids, himself, and his cronies. And he wants to make sure that whoever takes over will not dismantle that, claw back the money, expose all of the, the corruption, even though many countries are today demanding that they do so and that it be uh, fixed up. The um, So 
there are still two more days to this conference. We'll have to see what happens in terms of any moves for, for other uh, changes or, or directives. But essentially, it's, it's going to be more the same, and you could end up with much more frustration. There were warnings by Israeli officials about the, the situation that's heating up with the high unemployment, the youth unrest, uh, the satisfaction over the corruption that you could end up, and, and that some of that might translate uh, or be directed towards renewed violence, right. against, both Israel and against the PA. That's one of the reasons why we keep hearing, God forbid, about another intifada or Arab Spring or whatever angle you want to use mm-hmm. and, you know, and what term you want to use to, uh, to classify. Do they care? Does PA leadership care about any specific country's attitude towards them, whether it's our other Arab states or European countries? Is there anybody who can express any consternation toward him that he cares about at this point? Well, look, we've, the funding keeps getting cut. He's down to about half of what he got three years ago, and that did not stop him, and that, right. that is the major leverage that there is. Uh, as you know, yesterday the U.N. passed six anti-Israel resolutions in one sitting, and, of course, some of them recognizing Palestinians and uh, and Palestine and calling for the state to be recognized The um, and, and using the language, which I know your the audience may be tired of hearing, but it's just proof of why... Uh, I am so concerned and believe that this has to be addressed by the whole community in the most urgent way, which is the references to Haram al-Sharif only, Haram al-Sharif, which is, of course, the Temple Mount, the Harabayit. No no reference to its Jewish names. talks about all holy places, but specifies that and only by its Muslim name. The um, so And they're talking about internationalizing, again, the conflict by going to the U.N. to go to the International Criminal Court or other options. We know that they're working on a resolution for the Security Council, uh, as is New Zealand, uh, which is one of the concerns we have about what happens yet towards the end of this administration, if if, uh, a move like that will be made. Um, This is... uh, or, Or a presidential action. I think no determination has been made, and it looks like a lot of the steam behind that um, kind of maneuver ha- has been lost, especially because of the outcome of the election. Oh, that's good and, because you know we kept. I kept thinking we were getting lulled, as I said last week, lulled into a sense of security. It's already December and nothing's happened, and of course anything can happen at the last minute. But you're saying the chances are are getting lower and lower as we get further and further along. Well, it can happen. You know, a, a speech can happen any time. Right. A a resolution also. Uh, as I said, New Zealand has one. Right. Palestinians, it, it, it depends. Depends, I think, also, and it's why Netanyahu is trying to urge people to in Israel to be careful what they say and what kind of motions are introduced. Because if you trigger it, then you're going to get uh, that kind of a response. And I think that the administration, uh, because of the election, Mr. Trump are are holding back. And I hope that he let them know to, to hold back as well, right. uh, because you don't encumber the next administration. It isn't fair, and it's it is it's it, it can't be implemented. So my hope is that as time the, the more time that passes, but there are options, right? And it could be parameters, it could be a speech, it could be something. Uh, but uh, from what I hear in Washington, a lot of the steam is out of this. And on the U.N. side, and I mentioned last week, that was in advance of November 29th, a significant partition you know, anniversary date. Now we're post that. It, it, essentially, it seems like it doesn't matter. If, if they want to try, as you just mentioned, with New Zealand, etc., then it doesn't matter if it's a week or two after that specific you know, um, uh, you know, landmark date. Yes, and they still fund you know, special committees, the United Nations, aside from funding UNRWA and keeping people as refugees for three generations, 
Um, it's there, there is the, all these special committees that pay for propaganda and and undertake the propaganda on behalf of the Palestinian Authority. And I don't even know. Maybe I just don't remember. Is there an official brand new UN Secretary General or not? Like, is this? Yes, a, there is. And, and Guterres from Portugal with an with a, with inauguration already done, like installation already no, done. No, 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 no. It's uh, January first, I think. Uh, Ban Ki-moon remains. And, and is of this course, a- with developments in South Korea being what they are, he could be in a very dif- different position than he thought, because the word was that he wanted to run for president. In South Korea? Uh, in South Korea. And um, you've met, and I, again, not recalling, so I'm sure yes, we... Yes, I have. Yeah, I'm saying you met with the... With the, uh, uh, the Incoming. What do we call it, The UN Secretary General-elect? Is that how we that, refer to you it? You could call him that. They, um, call, they called them a lot of things, but yes, that is one. <laughs> and uh, uh, he, I have met with him. He told me one very, a number of very interesting things, but one is that he introduced, when he was in the legislature or, or the speaker of the parliament there, uh, the legislation to rescind the Inquisition-era laws that have remained on the books of Portugal oh, yeah, until, you this, right. until recently. Right. And I, I mentioned it at the right. time when, when I met him. Right. Um, and he is a socialist. He, he, he knows all the Israelis from the Labor Party, especially at those times. But uh, we'll have to see, you know, when they get into power and they get caught up in the UN bureaucracy, the, the onus often falls on the United States, and, and Nikki Haley, I'm sure, will be right. up to the challenge uh, at the time. Well, I, I look, I said it uh, on more than one occasion because I witnessed it with my own eyes. Your relationship with the U.N. Secretary General looked to everybody to be a, an amazing one, frankly, and a very, at, to, at the least, a very cordial one. I think even beyond that, you would say. And nonetheless, you know, you couldn't always depend on the U.N. Secretary General to, uh, you know, to take a position that you favored, so... You know, you, but, never... you know, the problem is that, that, that a man like Ban Ki-moon is not a bad man. He, he's actually a very decent person and has sympathies with Israel. But you get caught in the U.N., the, uh, uh, the, it's the jaws of, of the um, wrench of the U.N. bureaucracy who feed them him the information, who often incite the, the secretaries general. And, you know, when they come in, they're often very different than the way they are when they leave. Right. You know, the transformation that takes place over the years. The uh, U.N. is a, is a cesspool of, of anti-Israel bias. They have made some progress. He has helped in that regard, uh, Ban Ki-moon, and she deserves credit for some of it. Israel chairs a major committee. Israel has more recognitions. But the um, the overall record, as we saw this uh, yesterday with six resolutions, uh it remains still with the same kind of uh, horrific bias against Israel. Yeah, you have an opportunity very often to, to have an influence or a relationship with the person themselves, but unfortunately, often not with the people around them who are influenced. But it still them. makes a difference when you oh, can yeah. go yeah. in and talk to them and say, this, uh, you, people don't see what doesn't happen. Right, oh yeah, who would deny that? For sure it makes a big difference, but some of the people around him uh, is what uh, ends up being the problem, as you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, the <coughs> The fires have... <coughs> Excuse me, I guess we've gone from fire to water, thank God, in Israel, where it is raining and uh, and the rough weather is a big bracha, as we know. Uh, the aftermath of the fires, and I don't know how many people here are really following the story. I don't even know if this is an issue that, that, you, that you have found uh, you know, urgent for, for you and other people on this side of the world to follow. But apparently there's a, a whole uh, a category of people who are not going to be able to collect insurance. Uh, the government of the state of Israel is only willing to do so if the if there's proof that these were started by terrorists and uh, and not by random arsonists, pyromaniacs, or you know, but just naturally because everything was so dry. How uh, you know how these uh, got started? Is that as major an issue in Israel as uh, as I'm hearing? 
I've not heard it, uh, frankly. Uh, I, do, I do know that the government has offered compensation to, to many people. Uh, even that restaurant that was burned, the prime minister said that they would uh, they would help with the, the reconstruction. Uh, but I don't think any country can guarantee and, and say we're going to pay for the destruction that, that arrives out of uh, every circumstance. We did it with uh, after the tsunami that hit us. Uh, the perfect storm, as they called it, but um, oh, meaning so, meaning here with Sandy, you mean. Sandy, right. with Sandy. I mean, look how much money, right. billions and billions of dollars, right. and, still pe- and still people who and were still left paying, right. and, and still paying, and some people still didn't get right. So, um, uh, but 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 it sh- it should not remove the obligation of people to to buy insurance. Und- understood. Uh, but most people in Israel never think of fire insurance, frankly, or, or a, lot mm-hmm. of, a lot of them don't, depending on the type of structure they live in. Uh, the other thing is that uh, it seems like all of this has, has re- and I, again, I, you know, I didn't realize on this side of the world uh, you know, exactly what's happening. I didn't realize the type of uh, controversies that the prime minister is involved with right now, according to the Israeli press, and that the fires in that whole episode had a way of removing it from the headlines and obviously making uh, the fires in that whole uh, uh, that whole week, you know, the focus of everyone's attention. Uh, is the prime minister in any serious trouble with these scandals that are being uh, reported in the press? I, well, you don't know because there's so many and they seem to come to naught. So I think you can start with the assumption that perhaps not. But uh, his wife was grilled for 12 hours yesterday. Really? Or nine, hour, nine hours yesterday. On the resident I, I stuff? Uh, we don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't there, so I don't know which charge, but there are so many of them. And he was uh, being uh, asked about the um, recent purchase of, of uh, submarines because right. his lawyer's partner or friend and everybody got commissions. And right. uh, there was no specific allegation I saw that he did anything wrong. Uh, but there's certainly always the appearance and, the, you know, the attorney general is his appointee. Right. So, but is an extremely honorable and remarkable person, uh, Mandelblit. So we'll have to see. But you know, the the Israeli press is constantly uh, on the search to to attack. As we see, have we seen in the last few months that the, they can get involved not only in reporting but in trying to shape things. Yeah, they don't mind hounding him, do they? Not at all. It's a sport. It's they get a, extra points. Yeah, and they, the they seem to be. They seem to be doing it very well. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Heard exclusively around the world at NachumSiegel.com, the NSN Network, and of course, the NSN app. Malcolm Honline is with us on a Friday morning broadcast here at JM. And big thank you to those who are commenting on our app. The NSN app is filled, just blazing with amazing comments this morning. It's much. Appreciated. Uh, all right, uh, Donald Trump, closer and closer to actually uh, being sworn in as president. Uh, I, I'll probably ask you this each week, just any evaluation or any comment you have regarding his choices. I guess in this case, uh, Defense Secretary J- General James Mattis, anything to say one way or the other, obviously with Israel in mind? Well, he did work with the Israelis, and many of them have said favorable things. There was some concern about some comments he made at an event, but I'm told by people who know him not to, to use that to judge him by. And and I think that uh, overall we've seen positive uh, appointments. The um, You know, we'll have to see who becomes Secretary of State. I think that's very critical right now. The, the um, uh, But the policy is set by the president, and I think this president will even more set uh, 
as did President Obama, by the way, right. uh, is um, playing a critical role in, in, in setting all the policies. Uh, some give greater roles to the cabinet, to, to their vice president, to particular secretaries of state. Others diminish those roles. So we'll, every administration has to find its own mode of, modus operandi. They have to, and, and this one in particular, where uh, they, they were not in the White House before, they have to get on top first of, of creating a government. You know, they have 4,000 jobs to fill. So people shouldn't jump all over and people, you know, I even tell leaders and others, my experience is let it wait, let it settle down the first hundred days. Many of the people they would deal with today are not going to be there in six months. And then the government finds its footing and you can begin to deal with policy. I don't think they're, you know, really implementing. You can get orientation for people. You can see what, what, uh, what they've said or done in the past. But for many of them, uh, Nikki Haley, for instance, right. has never visited Israel, but right. she certainly is is known to be very pro-Israel. So people jumped all over that at first, and I, I told them, you got to look at a record. She passed the first uh, anti-BDS legislation, anti-boycott legislation, right. even though it didn't specifically refer to, to Israel, as I recall. Um, is that a trip that you think is a necessity at this point, or you, one way or the other you could live with whether she goes there or not? No, oh, no, that's that's not the criteria. There could be a million reasons why Understood. a person doesn't. But if you look at her record, you look at what she said and right. the positions she's taken, which are very good. Could you imagine of course, they, I want everybody to visit Israel. Could you imagine they insisted that she visit everyone who's a member nation of the U.N.? That would be pretty cool. <laughs> that would well, take... so, some some of the ambassadors, I think, pretty came pretty close because <laughs> many of them were traveling all the time. That I am and, sure. <laughs> that I am sure. Top contender to be the next chairman of the Democratic National Committee, Keith Ellison, so the question is, uh, in terms of a statement he made regarding Israel's influence or Jewish influence in Washington, um, you know, there, there are people, speaking of people in our community who, you know, wonder about appointments and, and those who may take specific positions. Uh, what can you tell us about Keith Ellison and the possibility of him being DNC chair? Well, I think his record uh, has to be carefully examined. I think people jumped to both sides before they knew and. Uh, even some of those who came out in support of him, that now that more information came out from uh, Steve Emerson and IPT, that uh, he gave very troubling uh, speeches. He says that the, the comments are being taken out of context. Uh, I'm sure that will be exposed more and more. But the question is also for the Democratic Party about the message they send, what, what uh, our people, including in his local Jewish community, uh, who who are very defensive of him, but uh, I think that there are troubling things that have to be addressed and that, uh, that you have to think about the message, the overall message that it sends when someone who did what he did at Democratic conventions and, and allegedly made these comments about, uh, you know, that Israel, 7 million people, control the policy to 350 million and they have to rise up and stand against it, et cetera, or people came from, from uh, our descendants or came from those regions. Um I don't think you can dismiss those things. Yeah, that's for sure. All right. Um, a, a Jerusalem Post article that quoted Reuters, Iran's foreign ministry said Friday that the U.S. Senate's vote to extend sanctions against the Islamic Republic for 10 years violated a historic nuclear deal reached between the country and six major powers in 2015. Now, obviously, you know most of this audience's opinion regarding sanctions and regarding the Iran deal, but just technically, because I still can't get it straight, is there really, as they're tinying, as they're, as they're claiming, is there really a connection between the two, or are the two completely independent of each other, the Iran deal and what Congress decides to do regarding sanctions? 
well, they're not independent because it's, uh, the sanctions are are related to JCPOA. But the the bill they're talking about now was actually for sanctions that were in place before the deal. Uh, and you can't say the deal was signed because, as uh, was rightly pointed out, it was never signed. It's just a deal that the you know was passed by Congress and the president by the maneuver. Uh, it was actually defeated by Congress, but the presidential maneuver that you needed 60 votes, and they only got 58 against it, uh, against 42 for it, and overwhelmingly in the, in the House. And you saw the vote was 419 to 1 and 99 to 0 in the Senate to continue and add the sanctions. And there will be there are 19 pieces of legislation pending against uh, Iran and, and the addition of more sanctions. The fact is that I think it's difficult for Iran still to walk away because they're the big beneficiaries so far in the deal. They may feel that they got the bulk of what they want and want freedom to be able to pursue all of their other policies. Do you see the aggressive nature of what they've been saying lately, opening uh, naval bases, they said, in Yemen and in Syria, uh, talking about expanding their their uh, outreach, uh, certainly with the aggressive um, development of their missile program and their nuclear capacity, other than the enrichment, which has been more restricted under, as far as we know. We're seeing that the International Atomic Energy Agency has less and less access to information. There's less um, transparency that was promised that we would be able to see everything go anywhere. We can't go anywhere, and we know, I think, uh, much less than people think about what actually um, uh, uh, took place. So here you have the House leaders that are calling on the president to, to halt all the concessions to Iran. It's clear that the American people, everybody wants Iran to be held to account and and that this, um, you know, the lax policy, which has enabled them to, to get billions of dollars, which did not end up aiding the people because we see that, that uh, the economic conditions within the country are, are terrible. And the, the uh, leadership... Uh, both of the Iran Revolutionary Guard but more, and, and Khamenei, the, the Supreme Leader's House, they're the ones who rake in a good part of, of the benefit. Well, this is, uh, I mean, you know my next question, obviously, as, you know, uh, as a regular person out there observing all this and seeing the support in Congress regarding the sanctions and knowing what Donald Trump said during the election. I know you warned us last week and the week before not to assume or jump to conclusions that any that that all of this can be eliminated, whatever President Obama included in the Iran deal. But it would seem that if Donald Trump would in any way act aggressively to eliminate a portion or a significant portion of the Iran deal, he would have it would be it would be a, a, a cakewalk through Washington at this point. No, it, well, I think the administration has to make a decision, but I'm not sure that you're removing the, the JCPOA. Let the president first find his, his policy, develop it, but the sanctions are what's important. The the deal, you can't even say the piece of paper because it's not a, a signed mm-hmm. agreement or, or uh, obligatory negotiations, the uh, um, uh, rather convention, and you have to think about the Europeans, you have to think of all the countries that signed deals, I would rather see much more sanctions on the many more sanctions on the banking sector, even more important than the oil sector. This is what will will prevent countries from, from and companies 
from uh, so loosely engaging when they know that there's going to be sanctions with the most important trading partner in the world, and that's the United States. Right. And for the Secretary of State, still is going around encouraging countries to not to be concerned and to be able to go negotiate. And the Iranians say, well, you, anything you do is a violation. It's not a violation. They can threaten us all the time. The problem is that they've gotten away with threatening and even harassing and even carrying out some of the threats as they did with the, harassing our ships and you know, taking our sailors uh, captive, and now they're patrolling in Bab al-Mandab, which some of your listeners will remember. I warned about all the time that this was the goal in Yemen, in the Yemen war. They don't want the territory. They don't want the poorest country on earth. They want access to the straits. And the head of the Navy said years ago that they will choke the West because they will have the Straits of Hormuz and the Straits at Baba Mandab, and somebody just look at the map and you'll understand what I mean. And the they're now announced that they're going to have uh, their their uh, ships uh, escorted by uh, warships of the Iranian Navy. Their Navy is not as so powerful as they try to portray it, but they are increasingly spreading it out. This is a particular uh, challenge, and they can usually use those. You can block the straits. You can do many things, something Egypt won't tolerate because it, it blocks the Suez Canal ac- access and egress. It blocks the Persian Gulf shipping where uh, a very significant part of the oil comes from. So these things are are very important, and we have to send a clear message. Had we responded when those ships started uh, uh, playing with our, uh, and, and trying to interfere and, and challenging our ships, the warning shots, and even maybe more, you would not get a response because the Iranians are looking and they see the weakness and they see that the West doesn't respond then they keep probing more and more. Well, they get a strong response. They're not going to challenge the United States. And terrorism, they're doing it anyway. Yeah, so yeah. what are they going to do? Hezbollah, Hezbollah. Uh, they, they're doing it. We and in the meantime, they're eating up Syria and Iraq. We saw it this week in Africa as well, right? Terror- uh, uh, absolutely. They, they're all, uh, African leaders, all of them, they used to complain about China, and now the first thing they complain about is Iran. Right, with direct uh, uh, terrorist attacks that are being, which, yes. which, which they're either taking credit for or it's proven that they uh, deserve the credit for it. Uh, well, I, you know, it, it's funny because so many listeners over the last few weeks in different platforms today on our app, et cetera, are asking how well you know Jared Kushner. And I'm saying to myself, you know, I don't know who you can, I don't know if it's him or anybody else who can, you know, who, who can get this outline that you give us each and every week about all the different things that are going on in this world that the next president must be aware of. Um, <laughs> well, Jason, I know, has said publicly that he listens to the broadcasts, and I'm sure, and, and the, look, they have many sources of information. These are bright people. But again, I think people are so wrong to, to speculate now. Things have to settle down. People have responsibilities. They, it will sort itself out. Uh, there are people who play roles from the outside all the time. In, in governmental affairs, but it's essentially the people who are sitting in the seats who have to make the day-to-day decisions. Right. And uh, those are people we will all reach out to and educate to try to share whatever information. And they have multiple sources. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, finally, uh, we're always fascinated by your relationship with President Erdogan. Are you aware of the fact that President Erdogan of Turkey, I read from the Jerusalem Post, accused Israel of restricting Muslim worship while calling on all Muslims to embrace the Palestinian cause and protect Jerusalem. Restricting Muslim worship, isn't that a bit unfair? Well, he was referring, I think, to the to the move about uh, restricting the Muezzin's call, you know, the broadcast. Right. He, he has talked about uh, Jerusalem many times, but at the same time, his response to the fires was uh, remarkable. Um, the ambassador is now in, in uh, Turkey, and they w- received him well. 
is he, he's a very complex person. I think you can describe it. He has been described in many ways, so complex is probably a good term. Um, <laughs> and uh, he indeed said, he made these comments. Um, at the same time, you see the reconciliation deal being implemented and more trade and other things that are happening, uh, which don't necessarily get the same coverage, but are, are part of, of, of the reality. And the um, uh, so, so he is facing really serious challenges at home, the economic challenges, other things that, uh, and, and of course with Russia, while they in some ways improve the relationship, he doesn't like what's going on in Syria, he demands Assad's removal. Uh, as uh, and that brings them closer to Israel, not further from Israel, because they would also want to see Assad's removal. Right. Uh, the developments of the last week in regard to the shootings, uh, the Israel's bombing in um, in Syria, uh, are very important. This is uh, Israel has to put the marker down. It wasn't because. Uh, this was necessarily meant to be uh, an assault against Israel. It could have been a local decision, uh, as I said last week. But it's it is uh, taken very seriously. And if you don't make it clear that nothing can happen, nothing will be tolerated. That we're not going to uh, allow you to. And and as Iran builds up its capacity there, Hezbollah has ten thousand soldiers. We see the uh, relationship with Aoun, the president of uh, of Lebanon, and the Russian Hezbollah co- cooperation expanding. Uh, these are all very serious developments, and I can tell you the North is is of great concern to um, uh, a primary concern now uh, to Israeli officials, to military defense uh, experts who are are looking at these things and are are very concerned. Were you were you and, surprised personally? By the way, just going back for a second to your initial statement to my question, were you were you surprised uh, uh, personally by the reaction of Erdogan to the fires? 11 or, 11 or 12 countries uh, responded. It's a humanitarian issue. Uh, was I surprised that, uh, at the extent of it? Yes, he didn't just do a pro forma thing. He, they sent one plane, then they sent a couple more planes. Uh, and if you look at the uh, list of them, we're going to be honoring the ambassadors from those countries in Washington, uh, not next week, the week after. Oh, cool. At a reception. That's at a nice. reception we're doing together with the embassy of Azerbaijan, a Muslim country, for Hanukkah. Um, and the, uh, but, but, uh, there has to be a Karasatov because we, we right. all rise to criticize when countries no do things against Israel. Right. And and the group of Americans who dropped everything, the Emergency Volunteer Project, yep. uh, who, who, who went to Israel to to uh, fight. And talking of volunteers, I have to mention that I had an amazing experience Sunday in speaking in the Kenesh Luchim uh, of uh, Lubavitch to see those 4,500 people who are working around the world and uh, the, the 50th state completed the, with somebody going, uh, Shaliach going to uh, South Dakota. But uh, uh, the response has been amazing then to be there and to see this conglomerate of service to the Jewish people and to see what they're doing. And anybody who travels knows that the, the first thing you look for when you're traveling in remote places of the world and what the sacrifice these families make uh, has to be noted. And it's there and it's here. I have a daughter who teaches, uh, who, who works in Obama Yeshiva doing speech uh, therapy. And, you know, when she always recounts that uh, tremendous dedication. So it's, it's good to step back and to say, you know, that we appreciate what they do and the tremendous sacrifice these families make. It was a tremendous gathering, and you uh, confirmed what I, had, uh, what I had suggested, that it would be a nerve-wracking experience. 
I admit that I was, I, I've spoken to hundreds of thousands of people. I do radio shows three times a week to uh, huge audiences around the world. I, I do not get nervous. I anticipate, I prepare, but I, I don't get nervous. I was truly anxious about this. I don't think nervous, but anxious because it's a tremendous responsibility and it's broadcast everywhere. And it's, But it, I, I really felt, and I did have a, a special relationship with the Rebbe uh, over many years, and um, uh, it, it is, uh, you look out at a sea of 6,000 people. I mean, literally, you can't see from one end to the other. And the, uh, you know, responsibility of what the message is, and I, I decided that I would not, I talked a little bit about my personal relationship and some of our experiences, one of which I'll just tell you in Baku, where we were on Shabbat uh, B'Shalach, and we always give the aliyot to local residents whenever we, we, and we had our own minion in the hotel, so we gave the aliyot to the Torah to locals, and the rabbi, the Chabad rabbi who joined us for Shabbat, you know, pointed to one guy, and we gave him the last aliyah, and uh, and when we finish, after he said the brachot, he stopped and he said, "You don't know what you just did." And we looked at each other, wondering, "What what did we do?" He said, "You you suggested it, but we didn't." And he said, "No, no, the last aliyahs. I hope many of your listeners know is Amalek. It's about the story of Amalek, which is our eternal enemy." Right. And he right. said, "You gave that aliyah to Stalin's grandson." Stalin's grandson said the brachot over a Torah. Over, right, but for Parsha Samolik. And for Parsha Samolik. What could be more symbolic, I mean, of, of significance than, say, how the world, the Google, the, the, how the uh, evolution yes. over time is just it's, what can happen. To me, it's one of the mind-boggling experiences that we've had with them. Unbelievable. Hey, Ten seconds on those who are hesitating to book trips to Israel with Alal because of all the labor issues. What do you say? Look, I'm not going to dismiss it. I, they, I thought it was resolved, but I was told yesterday it's not completely resolved. Right. Uh, so, well, number one, they should remember that there's a travel warning on it's going to Europe now because there's a lot of concern about uh, during the holiday season. State Department issued a warning to to about the risk of the terrorist attacks, and they have credible information about IS and Al Qaeda, and their affiliates uh, continue to plan terrorist attacks in Europe, and uh, so. Uh, I, I think that going to Israel is still the option. How you get there is your choice. Alal obviously is always uh, the preference, but you know it's a decision people have to make. I don't want to tell them, and then they're going to hold you accountable <laughs> if, if they're when delayed. They, they're but I, I hope that this will be resolved uh, soon. All right, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak Good again Shabbos next week. Everyone. Malcolm Holine is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JMN.